Welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast with your hosts, Richard Hill and Matthew Darlitz. Hello and welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. I'm Matthew Darlitz, Editor-in-Chief of the Science of Psychotherapy, and as always, here with the amazing Richard Hill. Ah, uh, look, I'm amazing, and 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 our guests are amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, st- I start to uh, get almost overwhelmed by the number of really fascinating people uh, that we know, yeah. and then I get even more overwhelmed when I come across really fascinating people that I don't know yet. Uh, it's an exciting part of the podcast, and we hope uh, uh, you as listeners enjoy meeting these new people because here's someone new today. Tell us about David, uh, if you yeah. would, Matt. Okay, so we're going across to New York City to talk to Dr. David Sitt. Now, he's a licensed clinical psychologist in New York City with extensive experience as a therapist, evaluator, and educator. And today we're going to talk about his book, ADHD Refocused, and the what we've been finding in the series of podcasts is here is another person with a lived experience of the thing that they've researched and studied and now come out as professionals and helping other people with it. Isn't it great? They, they know what they're talking about because they yeah. know what they're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, so, so really looking forward to, to seeing uh, to seeing David. Now, don't forget, everybody, that uh, you know we do this uh, freely with a, a great mm. love and compassion, but we do have amazing resources for you, and you can support what we're doing here by actually enhancing your own learning capacities through the Science of Psychotherapy Academy. You go in there. Uh, we don't charge you a yearly. We've We've changed our system. We just charge you a monthly rate. So you can come in, join, and when you need some education, you come in, you turn on your your act, you activate your your process, and it's only $12 US a month. Uh, so come in, do some education. So we're here to try and uh, help you maintain the learning that you want. And what we're doing is sneakily providing you fascinating stuff every month that you keep wanting to stay with us. But uh, do come in, check out the scienceofpsychotherapy.net and look at our academy. Just look at some of the people we've got there. I think you'll love to join us. Okay, so for now, let's go across to New York City and talk to Dr. David Sitt. David, hi, and uh, welcome to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. It's so great to meet you. Thank you. Thank you. Likewise, it's good to be joining you guys today. Yes, it's it's wonderful, David. We we were so so pleased uh, to to see the the work you do because we've been doing a lot of bits and pieces around ADHD, and of course, interestingly, the relationships between autism and ADHD, and uh, some of the things going on there. You've written a fabulous book, ADHD Refocused, which uh, you know we want to recommend to everybody, and we want you to talk about a bit. But uh, can you give us a bit of a background? What brought you into this area? Uh, what uh, what what led you to write a book? Because we know what it's like to write a book. It's a hell of a thing. So can you give us a bit of background? And then we want to sort of get down to the weeds of uh, of what you're doing with the work. Yeah, sure. I'd be glad to uh, give you some of that that context. So, so by profession, I'm a clinical psychologist. I got my doctorate degree in clinical psychology back in the early 2000s. And um, actually right at the foot of graduate school, I was um, facing a, a, a point where my uh, resources were not meeting the demands that were being placed on me. Whereas, whereas up until then, uh, while the demands may have been high, I, I was able to, um, uh, without realizing it, I was working at the last minute, uh, procrastinating, but getting my deadlines you know, met. I was pulling all-nighters, but pulling good grades enough. So, um, and, and whatever the 
the kind of um, quirks that I utilized academically were were well enough to get me through until they weren't. And when I was in graduate school, I learned from a professor that what I was struggling with was perhaps due to ADHD, and he sent me off to get evaluated. And there's a longer story about me failing a class and then him salvaging me from that. And that's all covered. And, you know, I talk about it in the book. Uh, and, and that's when I learned that ADHD. And from that point on, I started to look, look into, you know, the adult world of ADHD. And there was nothing. This was early 2000s. Much nothing was out there. And I realized that that was a, a big void. And I decided from that point on, I was going to dedicate all of my kind of clinical focus to ADHD. And, you know, fast forward, as you as you you know, in terms of being in this kind of academic world, getting a book out is, is a great kind of goal to try to achieve. And so I set out to do it. And it only took me five years to finally get it all together and get, you know, get this beautiful, you know, book out into the world. And, and that's what kind of led me to to um, lean into to this book. And, and that's what I do professionally. I work with adults who have ADHD all day long. That's and, fantastic. And this, this lived experience, Matt, we're, we're yeah. seeing this um, beautifully in some of the work because, you know, we've had these different lived experiences. Yeah. What, what are you thinking, Matt? Oh, I, I just want to jump in and and uh, let's let's talk about the, the focus of the book. Uh, no pun intended. Or maybe there is a pun intended. <laughs> um, yeah, so the so, book is, is, is my kind of takes my lens you know, actually, we we chose um, this image on the book on the cover, which is like this this experience of things being all jumbled up, and that you know the the sense when I, when this vision came to me was all these wires. You know, when you go into the drawer and you pull out that that, that ball of wires. Right now, we cut cords and we're wireless, but in the days of wires, it would be all tangled up, and 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 I felt like that was the experience of having ADHD. Was sometimes it feels like you're all you know, wrapped up in your own wiring and it's hard to kind of tease things out. And, and my goal with the book was to try to help give people, you know, move from this point of, of, of tanglement to a focus clarity, you know, where, where there's like a sharp uh, uh, way of, of achieving focus. And so I lay out in the, in the book, a lot of different methodologies, methods, and very, very importantly, mindsets to achieve this state of, of focus. I talk about moving from clarity to chaos as as kind of the goal of the work. And so I, I cover a lot of ground in terms of cognitive therapy, behavior therapy, mindfulness, meditation, uh, technology, living with technology imbalance, so on and so forth to help my, my listeners, my viewers, my readers understand what it's like to live more successfully uh, with a higher probability of success with their ADHD. Yes, now, I know it feels like you, you kind of get in your own way, and I, I've had the the, the good uh, fortune in many respects to to sort of come in my extended family. We we've got we've got we think about ADHD amongst our own. We look at where we're, where we're going, uh, and you you've talked about these various mechanisms, these various mindsets. I I know it, with one of our boys. That what was the what was the key element? He's been my big experiment over over twenty years, of um, bringing in curiosity. You know, sort of shifting from that defeated, uh, confused mindset to almost going, "Oh, that's interesting. I'm making myself stupid now." You know, uh, what are some of these mindsets that you're talking about that that can help uh, help you get out? You know, stop creating your own blocks. Yeah, you know, a very important. Uh, initial mindset is 
to first understand is, is this even a challenge you're facing, right? Is, is it defined as ADHD or maybe you're in that subgroup of, of, of people that I talk about that experience what I've labeled techno ADD. The experience that today all modern, you know, many modern adults walking around with, with their devices close at hand um, are also distracted and, and having multiple lines of focus and um, not being able to sustain attention for long periods of time, et cetera. So first of all, understanding where you might fall on that spectrum, right? If we're going to talk about an ADHD to techno ADD spectrum, but that's a mindset to understand where we stand. And then to also understand that regardless of which one you fall into, we're talking about a daily, it's a daily grind. It's a daily effort to manipulate what I call the, the, the levers. Imagine you walk into a room and the lights are off. Like you, go, you go into a big arena and by default, the lights are off. The soundboard is down, the lights are down. Every day, the crew has to walk in and adjust the lights, turn this one on, this hue, that brightness. And that's what it's like to live with ADHD or techno ADD. Every day we have to show up and work those levers and just realizing that that's part of the commitment for success changes the experience of living with ADHD. So that's an example of a, of a mindset. I'll give you one more before we move on to kind of, kind of a follow-up is understanding that perfection cannot really be a driving force in ADHD. If we aim for a hundred percent, we're very often going to trip. We're going to be disappointed. We're going to have shame and guilt, etc. I have a big belief in 80 being the new 100. I adjust the, the framing or the bullseye, not just the center, but a few circles out is what I'm really aiming for. Because if I hit 80% and that's my A, well, that means that 60% is kind of like my A minus or B plus. And that's good enough. And I need to think about adjusting my expectations so that I give myself credit for the successes and the wins that I do have as I go through. So those are just two mindsets. Mindfulness would be a whole nother topic. Now on that last point though, you, so you've done post-grad, some serious postgraduate studies. So what was your experience there where the aim always is, you know, to get the highest marks, to try and reach perfection in everything that you're doing in that academic world? Well, you know, it's a great question, Matt. I, I, I actually don't, when I got into graduate school, that's when I dropped the 100%. In, in university studies, in, in college, let's say, the 4.0, you know, there's a sense of I need to get the high GPA because that might be what I'm evaluated towards. In graduate school, I think grades are not as important, so I was able to adjust myself. But for those for whom they do need to strive for that 4.0 or those performance reviews at work, or um, it, it can be challenging. Um, and so what I do encourage people to do is lean into that 80%. Yes, there is such a thing as 100. And I might hit 100, but I'll have a better chance hitting 100 if I focus towards 80. Because in reality, if I hit 80 more consistently or even the 70, I will feel better about myself. The guilt, the shame, the anxiety, the depression will reduce if I'm hitting more stride. And that will allow me to have a couple of those moments where I maybe hit that 100, which, by the way, in ADHD happens very often under pressure. It's when we're under pressure, under their deadline to make something happen that we oftentimes hit 120. And that's a very powerful upside of the ADHD experience. 
Yeah, it, it's interesting. The the I'm just hearing a couple of things and reminding uh, the similarities in in my experience working with our boys. Uh, and one of the things which was really important that you mentioned a bit earlier was a person that came in who was really understanding and helpful. You had your professor. Uh, we had with with one of our boys. He went. The, the school system failed him miserably. They would just sit him up the back, and he was a go to sleep type of ADHD. Under pressure, he would he would just go to sleep. But he went, and this he said, "Oh, I can't do this, and I can't do that," and those defeatist attitudes. And uh, one of the teachers just said, "Oh, I'll help you." And besides the fact that he did help him, what was fascinating for our boy was that he was so startled that someone would help him. He'd written himself off. And this is part of the, the 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 sort of the psychology or the the affective disorder that you can give yourself. The shame, when you mention them, shame, guilt, so on and so forth. How do, how does someone get around those things? It's kind of get them to the place where they can start. Is it really that wonderful person? What are some of the, the thoughts you have about that? So you use the word get around, and I think that the way that we that I encourage people is to get through. Rather than around, right? We have to go through those emotions, right? right. So, um, you know, these are byproducts of of AD, These are common byproducts of ADHD that we're mentioning. These emotional experiences. There are occasions clinically where a person might have a standalone challenge with depression or a standalone challenge with anxiety or trauma and whatnot, and and we have to approach in those situations a bit differently in a, in a bifurcated way. But when the byproducts come out as a result of, and it is very often what brings people to therapy with me is that they only, they're seeing the byproducts, but then we learn, ah, ADHD is at, is at the helm of all this and it's causing the weak, right? And so what we try to do is first educate people about their emotions, name them, label them, identify them, right? Acknowledge that, I'm experiencing this emotion and that it is, it is not, I am not the emotion we commonly say. I am not the anxiety. The anxiety is, is, is with me or it's visiting me. I love to talk about in the book, an analogy of driving a bus and that I think about myself as the bus driver. I have my cap on, I get on the bus, I get behind the wheel and sure enough, passengers get on that bus. These passengers are my emotions the anxiety, the guilt, the shame, and they have voices and they say things like, you're no good. You're going to do terrible on this podcast. You're going to embarrass us all. And they yell at us and they, and they, they, they berate us. And what we need to try to do is remind ourselves that this, and we remind them too, you know, hello, everyone on the bus. This is my bus. This is David's bus and he's driving. You're welcome as passengers, but we'll remind you you will all have your time and you'll, you'll step off that bus and you'll get back on and off and on and off and on. But I am the driver that stays consistently controlling the wheel and making sure that we don't veer off the path. Because if I do listen to them and I think that they took over the bus, well, you know where that goes. I love that, Matt. That's great. <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, now, I have to ask you, because this this idea of techno ADHD um, in my mind, you know, there is a whole generation now that has techno ADHD. What's your perception in um, this world of, you know, technology and social media? What's going on in, in from your perspective? Oh, that is a that's a big topic, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So, we we want it in three minutes. Yes. Yeah. Well, no, <laughs> no <problem>. pressure. <laughs> um, no problem. I'll do my best. In in brief, 
we are at a stage in society's development where we now have, uh, you know, there, there are multiple large power influencers. Technology is now top of the heap, right? And today we have AI as the next iteration of what that technology is doing to us. And, and it is essentially a relationship. And I always use that language. It's a relationship that we have with our devices and, and social media and that we have to become more aware of, to develop awareness of the relationship between me and the device. Because if not, the dopamine uh, uh, um, loop that we get into, meaning the craving to get that feedback, the FOMO that we have, the fear of missing out that we have, the sense that we're not good enough, the sense that there's always something else out there that I could tap into, this is really going to siphon off our ability to stay focused in a moment, right? I happen to be a, a observant uh, a Jew, so I'm Jewish, and I observe the Sabbath. But on the Sabbath, I unplug. I don't use my phone. I don't use a computer. We don't even watch television in my house. We really go for it. We really embrace this idea of like unplugging for one day a week. And it's powerful. I have four little kids, four little kids, 10 to two years old. And they too are unplugged from their devices. And that one day we see their revitalization of their true deep spirit. And it's it's powerful. And the six other days, we fail miserably at it. But at least we have a sense of what it might be like to, to keep that relationship acknowledged as something that I can keep a space from. Yeah, the, right, these right. rituals that have uh, that are uh, you know through most religious uh, uh, circuits, they're also through a, a number of other uh, different uh, styles and types of of living. And 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 I think this certainly, I feel this was the reason for the the huge rise of mindfulness. Uh, and you mentioned that. I want to. I want to just sort of look at that a bit because it's so much of of those things that are good for us now and that are bad for us now have been good for us and bad for us for hundreds of thousands, if not you know millions of years, and and have evolved in. And mindfulness is another uh, a thing that I often say we didn't start mindfulness; we just restarted it. And it's so it's also that thing of why we stopped. And as you're saying, the technology becomes this um this external influence but how do you talk and, and address the usefulness of mindfulness for those um as one of those methods and one of those those rituals that gets you out of the of the technology or out of this um this frenzied f- focus so many years ago uh a couple of years after learning about my adhd and having tried medication for a while and um uh i was beginning to practice yoga a little bit. Um, I found my way towards a training in mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, MBCT. I was trained by a man named Zindel Siegel, who was a disciple of John Kabat-Zinn. And I went on his five-day retreat for therapists. And we sat at six in the morning for like a 45-minute sit or 25-minute sit. And I was tortured and my mind was exploding. And I had monkeys and elephants and cars and the sounds of the birds and it was like and i went up to zindel the first day and i said this is not for me i don't know i have adhd you think i can sit down on a on a cushion and met? I, impossible this is not built for me and he said it is exactly built for you and i um from that and i there was no research done at that point of, of mindfulness and adhd but now it, it's ample that this ability for us to switch off of autopilot to move away from just going about our day without pausing to be aware of the day or aware of the experience of the day 
is, is, is challenging. So we need to take a handle of the, the control switch, like I talked about before, and flip it from autopilot to manual mode. And now when I'm in manual mode and I can slow down and observe my circus mind, or I can slow down and observe, like I talked about with a client today um, who is shake, you know, she was shaking her leg constantly during the, our meeting. And I said, well, let's, let's take that as the focal point of observing your ADHD hyperactivity and focus on your leg shaking or another client who speeds a lot because it's common in ADHD. Watch your speed as the, as the indicator to flip the switch from auto to manual mode. And in that way, you strengthen your capacity of awareness. And ADHD is a, is a deficit of awareness. Think about that. The deficit of awareness or attention. And mindfulness is training us in awareness and directing of that awareness with intention. So it's very powerful. We can go on and on. I know we don't have as much time, but, but it is worth anyone out there, all of our listeners who are listening to this now, please, if you don't know about mindfulness, go out there, learn about it. My book talks about it. We have an app called Agave Health for the ADHD community that talks a lot about mindfulness and many other places that you can learn about mindfulness. Check it out. And and the, just, just as a quick add, I know you've got something there, Matt, uh, but uh, one of the things I talked about, people say, well, you, you say this mindfulness has been around forever. What are, you, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you think about it. Every day we practice this as a species and as species before us at the end of the day. Sunset would come along. We would stop working because we couldn't see this marvelous, amazing focus-driven thing that we could uh, we could do. Looked at it, and then we stopped and ate and, and told stories and uh, and reflected, uh, and and then we just invented the electric light and and um, business pressure and commercialism and everything else, and we and we let it go. Yeah. It, mm. So if anybody wonders what mindfulness is uh just do that just just go to it watch a sunset and you will be, get it you'll get an inkling of the uh, the the naturalness of it uh but we need to enhance it when you use the thing so that's just a thought there so i just that's wanted incredible. to throw that i love that I've, I've never heard richard that way of understanding um the advent of where we were naturally built into to a mindful experience that's oh, yeah. beautiful thank you for sharing yeah. that absolutely now um just very quickly I want your take on uh, pharmaceuticals, uh, medical model, all of that approach to ADHD and how do you work with that? Yeah, what's your take? Uh, I, in, in brief, I always explain to people that there are, um, if there are tools available to help us in the ADHD space, I am, I am encouraging people to explore them under the right guidance and supervision. Medication certainly being uh, a longstanding validated tool for working with ADHD in both children, adolescents, and adults, right? Um, and so I, I, I explain this to people, um, especially if you're, you're, you're trepidatious and you're nervous, if you find the right clinician, and that's a challenge in and of itself, but you can find the right prescriber who understands ADHD, not your general practitioner who maybe is kind of pulling things off the shelf, but someone with a deep awareness of ADHD, who knows about the various types of medications, try them, try it out with their guidance, because you can always stop. You can always decide that isn't for me. It wasn't the right effect. I don't like that feeling. And you can also try to figure out a way to let it be one among your tools. Don't skip the skills for the pills, I tell people. Don't <laughs> skip the skills just for the pills, right? That's because it is, a, it is a great way to get gas in the tank. I just go going back to my meditation training. I used to be on 70 milligrams of Vyvanse. For those out there listening with ADHD will know that's a very high dose 
of ADHD medication. I didn't know better. My med- my prescriber said we could we could go there. I need it seemed like I needed it. After I got trained in meditation, I started practicing, and then I got into yoga and practiced yoga very regularly and steadily. My medication dropped down to five milligrams of a short-acting uh, cousin called Adderall. Of and, and these days, I use it as needed. So everyone needs to find their relationship with that tool, along with other tools like cognitive behavior therapy, meditation, and mindfulness, self-forgiveness powerful, most powerful tools being self-forgiving of the days that just don't go well, which will happen even to the best of us. Um, and so I'm, I'm all about trying out the tools that are out there. And I think what's important also, there's one of the things that we talk about to therapists, because a lot of people are listening to therapists and and I can, you know, hopefully they've taken some fabulous notes of, of things that they can, uh, uh, key elements they can tap into. But you're not a prescriber. So I, I have a lot of therapists, counselors and psychotherapists say, well, I'm not a prescriber, so so I don't, don't need to know that. But we suggest, particularly, we, we talk about it in our Science of Psychotherapy book, We, uh, yes, you do need to know about that. You need to know, at least know about the chemicals. And one of the things is it tells us, as, as you say, the type of experience that the, the client is going through. But it also gives you a bit of an insight into what their, their physician uh, or psychiatrist is actually thinking. We know what their style is, and uh, uh, so that's really important. And that'll be a fabulous part of the book for people to uh, uh, to catch up on and and just become knowing of. Uh, so we really thank you for for talking about that, and I, I love that. Try it. You can stop. You can start. You're not, <laughs> not an automaton. It's not always the same with all conditions. Like the certain challenges, like bipolar disorder, not so simple to start and stop. That's why I say that happens even with ADHD medications. If you're on the stimulant side, it's fairly easy with the guidance, proper guidance to start and stop. Really, you can go, you can take two days on and three days off. It's not the same with other kind of mental health challenges. So that's why I want to put that asterisk on my comment that it, it is specific. ADHD uh, uh, medications of the stimulant class with the guidance of your prescriber. Uh, which is, again, another thing that therapists needs to become aware of so that they're not okay. saying, they're not creating opinions. Uh, now, uh, I just, I'm going to wrap up shortly, which is always a nuisance, but I think it gives us a good, good, you know, succinct uh, discussion. But I get the feeling from, we, we've hit on a bunch of points and I don't think there's like a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There's just sort of a, a set of points. In fact, I'm almost seeing them like a sphere of, of possibilities. Is it really um, what I would imagine that every client is very individual, that you, which element you hit on first? What's that experience for you, the, the dealing, once we've got these, these elements together, applying those to the needs of a client? So I, as it happens, there's there are two or three things that I consistently um, teach every client, everyone. The first is the foundation of planning, a planning system. And I, I, I developed a system based off of um, a plan, something called a planner pad, which I always give credit to as, as I found it 20 years ago and I loved it. It's using a, a funnel down three tier organization system where you think about your life. This is my one that I'm using this week. My life is categories. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I have cutaways. This is my life. The seven or eight categories of my stuff that I need to do this month. And then from there, I funnel down to 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. In one, my whole life, I could get it onto one paper. Even if I have a million other things, this gives me a starting point to externalize my thoughts and my responsibilities and a place where I can manipulate it, right, externally, and then to break it down into small steps, which is what you do, deciding what to do today. And then there's a third tier that's kind of like an hour-by-hour flow as well. So I teach that to every client because it's the foundation of effectively living with ADHD is externalization of organization, right? So that's one. I teach it to every client. I do think that learning about mindfulness is essential for every, you know, for all my clients as well, include encompassing the self-compassion. Got to forgive yourself for the bad days because they're going to be there no matter what, no matter how awesome you are at this game. It's a game of shoots and ladders. You move through those squares or snakes and ladders, right? You're going to fall down and, and have to kind of regroup. It's just a natural order of things. Um, and then the third thing that I try to teach every client is also understand your emotions like we talked about earlier. So those are three things that I, I think everybody with ADHD or techno ADD as well should really dial into. And I, and again, I cover all of it in the in the book. Um, and I, and I think I think we did a, a pretty good job at it. Well, we've we've done that with all our kids, haven't we, Matt? In various forms, just externalizing the the structure, so it's not it doesn't become part of the internal jumble. I need to right. do that for myself. I know I don't have ADHD. I need to. You know, I rely on my my calendar to break everything down into those components like you were just describing well david look it's been brilliant meeting you and learning about um about what you do and your book adhd refocused everybody there will be a link in the show notes if you want to jump across and check david out and his book thank you for for joining us here on the science of psychotherapy been my pleasure guys really my pleasure yeah wonderful to talk to you Oh, absolutely as fascinating as 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 I was expecting and uh, yeah. and, and hoping. But the way he the way he sort of was able to well not so much compartmentalize, but but create mm. these really individual points. As a therapist, mm. I got a lot of insight into to how I can work with a client uh, with ADHD. And then wrapping up with those beautiful so here's the three fundamental elements. Yeah. And from there you can expand out into some of these other aspects. Love yeah, love the, the the work. Yeah, yeah. Well, by necessity, you know, he's become very organized. And and so I think you'll find that his book is, well, not only very accessible, but very organized for the for the therapist to get into. So uh, again, a link in the show notes to ADHD Refocused. Check it out. One of the things Richard and I found, you know, very applicable to all of us today is this idea of techno ADHD. I think mm. that throws us all, you know, the, the whole society is kind of going that way, I think. And so this is a very important thing to take uh, notice of. Yeah, I think people who suffer from the, the or struggle with the difficulties of the, their ADHD brains would just say, please don't ADHD. You know, don't make it worse. Don't actually take a uh, take yourself down this rabbit hole. We're all trying to get out of it. Uh, yeah, so we. Yeah. This is again another reminder. Technology is fabulous. How do we use it within the framework of our natural humanity? Yeah, really interesting, Matt. Fantastic. Well, thank you everybody for joining us here on the Science of Psychotherapy podcast, and we'll catch you next time. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Science of Psychotherapy podcast. For more great science, go to thescienceofpsychotherapy.com.